it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. Hi, I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kierkegaard, and that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. And this week, we have our now annual chat with Mighty Craft Chief Executive Officer and Managing Director Mark Hazeman. As industry observers, we do a lot of gazing at private businesses from the outside, trying to divine how they, and in turn the industry, is going. But one of the trade-offs for publicly listed companies, and those that also take on equity crowdfunding, is the requirement to regularly disclose information about the business. It's a trade-off because it gives us an insight into the operations of the business and how it's faring. And this ability to scrutinise also allows some insight into how the broader beer industry is going. That's why I thank Mark for his willingness to engage in this annual chat with me and my deeper dive into Mighty Craft's numbers and its strategy. I'm sure it's a little different to most of the interviews he has to face each year, and I appreciate his willingness to front up. I think it's important because businesses such as Mighty Craft have to constantly sell themselves to potential investors and the stock market as much as they do their products to consumers. And that creates a powerful narrative about the state of the industry that I think requires a little bit of a study. In this conversation, we look at Mighty Craft's unicorn brand, Better Beer, something that we have done quite a bit of looking at this year, and also look at whether any meaningful scale is possible for its smaller craft brands, including its focus brands. We ask what the future is for the non-focus or deprioritized brands, and why they have struggled to get scale, and whether this has forced a change of strategy for the craft incubator. We also get some insight into what may happen to them. Finally, we look at Mighty Craft's spirit businesses and what the future direction is for them, but also what makes them different from beer and how the focus on spirits will impact Mighty Craft's beer business. As always, it's a very good chat and it's a very interesting insight into the state of the market. I hope you enjoy it. Mark Hazeman, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Good morning, Matt. How are you doing? Good, good. Our now annual uh, catch-up on all things uh, Founders First and then Mighty Craft. Yes, very good. So uh, nice to chat to you. Let, let's um, kick off with uh, you know, how are things going uh, at the end of 2022 for, for Mighty Craft? Yeah, uh, thanks, Matt. Yeah, look, uh, great great to be on. Uh, it's been obviously a very challenging couple of years for the industry, hasn't it, uh, with, with so much going on? and. Uh, you know we're feeling feeling good about where we're at, uh, and you know we've had a, a really good couple of months actually. So September, October, November been been really strong for us as a as a total business, and obviously we've got the the real focus on simplifying our business going forward, which I think we'll get into a little bit as we discuss today, um, and uh, really focusing on I guess the, the brands that we think are going to move the needle uh, for for Mighty Craft um, into the future. And, uh, yeah, so, look, uh, we're, we're, we're tracking well and uh, good to see the industry uh, up and going again, the on-premise opening up uh, and starting to feel like, uh, you know, there's a lot of positivity out there and, and people keen to socialise. And despite the bizarre weather we've had, particularly on the eastern seaboard, uh, good to see people out and about. Mm, absolutely. And uh, look, th- th- there's a lot in that that we can unpack. Um, but let's, first of all, I-, I guess one of the huge highlights has been the runaway success of the the, the, the Better Beer franchise. Yeah, look, it's been, uh, you know, it's just over 12 months now since uh, since we launched the business. Uh, obviously, enjoying working with Nick and, and Matt and Jack, the inspired unemployed, um, who are certainly putting their shoulder to the wheel and working hard to, to help build this brand. Uh, so, yeah, I think to, to build a brand of, of scale as we have um, so quickly is a uh, really it's it's a, a, a once in a generation might be too strong, but certainly I haven't seen a beer um, have this uh, sort of impact in the last ten years in Australia, and uh, it's been a, a big effort by um, all, all parties involved, and, and certainly the the drinkers out there uh, seem to be really engaging strongly with the brand and enjoying. Uh, you know, um, what, what is a great beer, but also the, the irre- irreverent and disruptive way in which it's been launched. It, and look, I, I don't think anyone can disagree with you know, saying that it's the biggest beer launch in, you know, 
10 years, but you know, when, when you look at the scale that it's achieved, and what literage is it currently? It's, it's, is it tracking at 10 million litres annually based on the, the current volumes? Yeah, it would be on track for 10, 10 million annualised. That's right. So, uh, and had its biggest ever month in November on the back of its biggest previous month, the month before. So, yeah, it just keeps hitting new highs. Uh, and, you know, the, one of the highlights for us, obviously, was uh, if you're happy for me to sort of talk about it now, is the, uh, the, the the guys did their the inaugural launch of, uh, you know, the, the day for it day uh, on the first Saturday of summer. Uh, and it was just incredibly successful. Uh, and, you know, they, they endeavoured, you know, we sort of tried to get the prices back in the on-premise back to, you know, the, the prices of uh, middies and schooners and pints back to the 70s, you know, and uh, <laughs> and obviously in the in the off-premise, um, you know, uh, they, they ran a, a bunch of promotions as well. And, you know, the brand did, did extremely well um, on that particular day. And, you know, I think uh, we, we, we think it sold, you know, nearly 300,000 litres um, of better beer on that particular day, which was um, a huge result. And, uh, you know, I guess it's uh, ensured that our trajectory of that brand is continuing to uh, trend up and, and looking like we're going to have a really strong summer uh, with, with really high engagement and supporting the boys, which is great. Now, having a day like that where you know discounting can be a double-edged sword for a brand where it can drive purchase but then it can also devalue the brand, is was that a strategic decision to just do a day to encourage trial but – one that doesn't actually yeah. get people used to a low price? Absolutely. I think, you know, we, we certainly want to continue to premiumise, um, you know, the category um, and help trade trade people up out of mainstream into more premium products. And, uh, you know, Bet, Better Beer certainly uh, has been achieving a price point sort of in the mid-50s. Um, so it was really a, just a one-day only um to, to get more people into the brand and and almost to reward those that love the brand and say thank you to kick summer off. So, yeah, certainly don't expect it to stay down there um, again anytime soon. But, yeah, it's just as a, a one-off for one day. Uh, I think these things can prove effective to get more people to try it as well as reward your loyals. And then hopefully that takes the, the underlying level of demand up, um, up to the next level again uh, going forward. I'm never quite sure how these things get out into you know, the rumour territory, but I've heard even you know for, for a uh, period, Better Beer was the biggest selling uh, skew in the, the the Endeavour Group, um, which is the first time that one of the uh, a beer that's not from the big two has has lost that mantle. Is that uh, something you can comment on? Oh, look, I can't. I haven't seen the final numbers to comment on that, but um, it, it certainly did exceptionally well on the day. Uh, and, you know, I don't think we could have, uh, couldn't have been happier with, with how it performed. So, uh, but certainly showing great signs of, um, you know, being able to scale um, as it becomes more broadly available and the awareness uh, increases. Uh, for There's a lot of drinkers that don't know about it yet. So I think it was a great way to sort of get more people into it. The other thing that I've heard on the grapevine is, that you know the biggest beer in the country, Great Northern, has been discounting apparently. Uh, you know, as a direct target to to you. Yeah, I think the there's no doubt that the source of volume for better beer uh, is not only attracting younger drinkers into back into beer, which I think is fantastic for the category and creating a lot of interest, and not just. Um, young adult males but females as well which I think is really good to bring more females into the category um, and obviously it's not just the lager but the the, uh, the uh, ginger beer as well is proving very popular so I, I think the source of volume uh, for better beer uh, clearly uh, a lot of it is coming from the mainstream offerings so whether that's Great Northern Original um, or Super Crisp, Han Super Dry, Pure Blonde, um, even Corona and Carlton Dry it's definitely having an impact on those brands. So, you know, for example, on Day for It Day, uh, very clearly Great Northern um, were very sharp on price. I'm not sure how they did it, whether they sort of targeted Coles. So Dan's and BWS would match. Um, but, you know, we were still sitting just above them on price and and uh, performed very, very well. Um, so, yeah, I, I think certainly the, the big guys are um, taking notice of better beer and, and kind of intrigued uh, by not only this highly disruptive and novel way of launching a brand, but clearly the beer itself is um, of um, the right quality that is meaning that the drinkers are continuing to come back to it. So, yeah, it'll be an interesting space to watch over summer. 
going back to the idea that it's you know, one of the fastest growing, you know, for, for it to achieve the scale that it's got, um, you know, even stone and wood was, I think, you know, around about the 18 to 20 million litre mark total um, when they sold after 12 years um, to, to be, you know, around the uh, 10 million litre mark after one year. That would even strike me as being faster than Great Northern, which has subsequently become a juggernaut. It, it, it would almost seem that if a beer doesn't fire immediately, a new beer doesn't fire immediately, the odds are it's not going to get to that sort of significant scale. Is that a reasonable you know, takeaway from this? Yeah, I, I think that's right, Matt. And uh, you certainly know within the first two to three months whether a brand is going to be something, you know, and... I think with better beer, the sort of obviously we've watched the scan sales quite carefully, and you want to see, I guess, that continue to 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 rise over time. And obviously, seasonally, you expect that it might drop over winter. Um, but those key occasions around, you know, whether it's Australia Day, whether it's Easter, um, footy finals, uh, whatever, that uh, you know, it should be should be peaking in those weeks and driving strong growth. So, yeah, look, it's not only have we not seen a brand. Um, hit the market like this for, for a long, long time. I think that the pattern of um, scan sales is it's a really nice pattern that any any beer company or consumer goods company would like to see because um, sometimes you'll see a, a strong spike early and then it comes off and, and then it, it just struggles to get back there. So, you know, I think to retain that sort of premium price to mainstream uh, beer uh, and so it is trading drinkers up good for the category and clearly it's maintaining those volumes. So, yeah, I think if you haven't, you know, if your first two or three months um, you're languishing, it's very, very hard. So I think you know very quickly whether the brand's going to work or not, which is part of our incubator model, to be honest, with with Nick Conger and, you know, Torquay, Bev, um, Torquay Beverage Company initially was to launch brands in that would, you know, hopefully scale up and don't be afraid to, to, to have a crack and then fail fast. Um, so... You know that that's part of what you have to be prepared to do. Probably a bit easier for us to do that at Mighty Craft with with that incubator business set up with Nick, and uh, you know we have put a couple of products in the market that we've taken out, but this one, Better Beer, is uh, is clearly doing a great job and and is I think set for a really strong trajectory for uh, for a number of years to come. We're jumping a little bit forward, but we can come back to the other things. But I guess that brings us to the the the, the idea of failing fast. When last year when we talked. You know, we had a fairly, uh, you know, circuitous discussion around small breweries, cost base and what scale meant for them. Um, and, mm-hmm. and this year, as we've uh, looked at the, the, the reports, we've seen a number of focus brands and then some things that I, I guess could be put as business speak or euphemism, sort of looking at simplifying the business structure um, and uh, having non-core uh, breweries, which I, I, I guess is some of the businesses that you initially invested in, the realisation has been that they're not going to scale and you're going to focus uh, on, on what is. Is that talk us? Is that a reasonable observation, or you know, talk talk us through the strategy? Yeah, uh, certainly. I think uh, you know the it has been a very difficult couple of years, so we've had to you know remain pretty agile and and probably prioritise uh, more so than what we've ever done. And, and every business, I would say, would would be doing that. I kind of reflect back as well to. You know, 18 months ago, we we did the transaction where we acquired the Ideals businesses, which included, you know, wonderful brands like Mismatch, um, Brewing, um, Hillsider, uh, 78 Degrees and Lot 100, um, all four good businesses in their own right. When we bought those businesses, that kind of doubled the size of Mighty Craft. Um, and so, you know, we, we obviously we're going to really prioritise um, those brands to t- continue to, to grow those businesses. Um as well as building uh, the, the other uh, brands that we had within our beer portfolio and our spirits portfolio. I think what's happened since then is not just COVID, uh, but obviously we've had uh, a better beer launch as well, which has um, helped us see, again, the benefits of, of scale um, and the importance of focus. So, look, I, I think going back a step, it's really hard to build craft brands and really hard to build craft brands of scale and, you know, we, I guess, just wanted to make sure that uh, we, we remain really focused going forward so that we are building those brands that we're really prioritising um, as we sort of 
go and hit that overall target that we put out there for, you know, our beer, you know, beer cider ambition. Um, but what that does mean is that we've had to make some choices uh, to long-winded way of answering your question, Matt, but we've had to make some choices around we, we can't feed all of the hungry mouths to the same extent. So we, you know, clearly prioritising within beer, uh, better beer with mismatch, Jetty Road and Hill Cider and some of the other brands, you know, we we obviously continue to support and work with. Um, we want them to be really strong in their local market um, and, and do well, but we just can't invest behind all of them the same way. So, uh, you know, we've had to do that uh, in collaboration with those partners um, and the brands we've invested in. Uh, but yes, we are definitely dialing up our focus on sort of three or four main brands in, in beer and cider and and um, you know obviously keen for the, the the smaller beer brands if you like to, to still coexist and do their job in their market in and with their brew pub. Um, but you know we're not going to be able to take them all to the sort of scale that um, you know potentially even that we've been able to achieve with mismatch. Um, so you know that's I think part of the challenge of the craft industry and the, the other piece that's made it difficult for us uh, clearly has been, the ATO rulings around excise remissions, which means that, you know, where we own over 50% of a particular business, um, that excise remission, um, now we can't claim for any more than one. So that that's also been uh, a challenge for us to sort of stare into and work out how we deal with that and how we you know, do that in a way that is, you know, the best result for the partners and the, the brands that we've invested in as well. There's a couple of things in that, and I'll, I'll come back to them individually, but you know, uh, picking up on where you said it's hard to scale craft breweries. You know, I, I look at the, you know, have, having been a very close observer since the founders' first days, talking about they were exactly the sort of businesses that you wanted to invest in and scale and the quality of the experience of the, you know, the, the, the you know, fairly extensive management of Mighty Craft. I, I, I guess my very first question is, wasn't that true before you went into this and shouldn't you have known that there was challenges in scaling small craft breweries? So, yes, we, we did know that going into it, um, but there's been a bit that's changed in the meantime, Matt, and I think uh, that the two main things are that on the back of COVID, I think what you're finding is a lot of the national retailers are pushing the craft brands back more so to their local state markets. It's really hard to cross-border now and, and scale them. Uh, and we've seen that happen, whether that's with Ballistic or Jetty Road, where initially we you know, launched in the, the local market and, and, and then we got a, a bit more of a national footprint and then we sort of get pushed back. So I think, you know, that, that support of local, both from a consumer perspective, but then also from the, the customers has, has meant to sort of push most of these brands back to their home state. And then secondly, the, the cost, um, you know, whether it's difficulty in getting staff at the hospitality level, whether it's the cost of, you know, your, your staff in the breweries, the cost of um, not just so the raw materials and the inflationary impacts of that um, and the inability to keep taking price in terms of um, through the key customers as well, along with the ATO excise piece, has just really squeezed the pie down. So, yes, we knew it would be difficult. Um, we, we definitely believe we've built a, a great platform in terms of our team to, to drive and scale brands um, but it's just you know it, it's it is really difficult and you know I think I would you know being being less than honest with you if I said that it wasn't difficult and it's become more difficult in the last couple of years so um, you know I, I think that for a bunch of reasons uh, that that's occurred and you know I guess good businesses need to, to stay agile um, so we are you know have evolved that strategy a little bit to really focus on on the winners and um, and uh, you know I guess have to face reality around how much we can scale some of the, the smaller state-based brands. So yeah, look, it's been a tricky dance, um, and you know again proud of what the teams delivered um, and what they're doing. And I think that experience in a in a in a brew pub, whether it's at, up at Slipstream, whether it's at Falcon, whether it's at Jetty Road at Dramana, those experiences are still fantastic and really important. Um, it's then a matter of how far you can push the brands um, outside of that uh, that local market and do so in a way, you know, where now, of course, um, doing that profitably is, is more important than ever. And for us being a listed company, Matt, being a growth story and a growth stock is not enough anymore. We need to get to that um, that that profitability piece, which, you know, as I just touched on, is is harder and harder without that scaling craft. Mm. And, and, and look, I... I, I uh completely take your point about things like the the major retailers who are the key to any brand growing going back to local but that makes it sound like you know 
just about every craft brand has a glass ceiling these days. Um, it's, it's going to be very hard to get a national scale for any brewery. I, I think it is possible. It's just a matter of um, being able to to get to that scale where you can invest appropriately into that brand. And I think there's still, you know, some obviously some really good brands out there. And I think for us as well, when you think about where we came from, Matt, where we set an ambition for the sort of volumes we wanted to do, um, and then we revised that ambition upwards, obviously, on the back of better beer. But for us, you know, if we hadn't created the platform we could bolt better beer onto, um, and better beer didn't come along, um, then we would have um, either more aggressively grown the brand we have, or we would have had to find other brands to bolt on to meet that ambition as well. Um, but, but I think, you know, that I don't think there is necessarily a glass ceiling. If, if you get the, the brand proposition right, uh, I mean, Bolt approved that, Stoner would prove that. Uh, but, you know, will there be many more of those? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. It is it's getting increasingly difficult. Uh, but I hope there is because it's a good thing for the category and the drinkers out there want to try these new and interesting products. And uh, But, you know, it, it's just getting harder and harder to do that. So I guess time will tell and maybe this time next year we can have a chat about, you know, whether anyone else has been able to break through that glass ceiling and, and, and create those brands of scale. Um, and if they have, I dare say their local market uh, would have been uh, really important to them to establish a good home base first. Okay. And, and yeah, it, it is very difficult, but wasn't negotiating exactly those challenges, the promise that Mighty Craft or Founders First had that you, you had the capital to invest in these brands, you had the the, the marketing now, the ability to negotiate um, you know, relationships with the, the, the retailers that the small breweries didn't have. And yet mm-hmm. none of the, and, and I'll sort of say this as a blank, blanket statement, including um, mismatch at this stage, none of those brands have you know, gone anywhere near achieving a, you know, what, what you would regard as a scale, as scale. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the, the two things to that one is, uh, you know, the, we walked straight into COVID. Uh, we had, you know, a huge proportion of our, our uh, business in the initial stages, you might recall, being venues. So we had about 50% of our revenue in the early days being venues. When they close and you've got capital tied up in those, that becomes very problematic. Um, so that, you know, that that really made it difficult because we couldn't invest the way we wanted to. Um, that said, you know, you look at uh, where we are with brands like, you know, Mismatch and Jetty Road, et cetera, uh, that we're really focusing in on. You know, growing in the order of 30 to 40 percent on last year, on a year-to-date basis, uh, is is really strong. And um, you know, I would say that that would be in the top tier of growth brands. And you know, you're not going to be able to, to grow at the multiples that something like Better Beer has grown at. Um, so I, I think you know, 30 to 40 percent is still really strong. And if they continue to grow in that way, then they, they will eventually get to a decent level of scale. Um, and and your know, mismatch itself will, you know, certainly do um, well over a million liters for the year. Um, and 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 Jetty Road in a few years' time would get to that as well. So um, and even Hillside are growing at sort of 20 percent on a year-to-date basis, and and will do well over a million liters for the year. So uh, you know, obviously not talking about spirits either at this stage, but you know, that, that uh, capability we do have to, uh, you know, engage with the retailers the right way to get the right outcomes so we all do well out of it, um, I think we've delivered on. Um, it's just been a lot of headwinds around, you know, uh, 18 months of COVID that really made it very, very difficult and, you know, restricts your ability to, um, you know, deploy your capital as you would like um, or even go out there and raise capital for that matter. So, yeah, look, there's a bunch of things that have conspired against us, but, um, you know, I still feel like uh, the only reason that a brand like Better Beer has been able to come to market is because we've created the, the capability that we have and the team we have and and we've been able to, uh, you know, being prepared to invest in innovators, uh, you know, like Nick Cogger to to enable these sorts of brands to come to market. So, yeah, there's, um, yeah, I, I think that's the way I look at it. Again, I mean, Nick is very um, effusive in his praise for the Mighty Craft model and what it's allowed him to do. I guess, you know, and, and I don't, don't want to get into a what is craft beer debate, but, you know, it's yes. certainly not mainstream um, and, it, and it does fit within the voting for the, the hottest 100 craft beers. But it's, I, I, I think if you reached out to the mainstream beer drinker, that contemporary better for you beer is probably a whole different set of marketing and brand cues than any of the craft brands that founders first uh, really targeted at the beginning 
Yeah, I think I think that's right. I mean, we, we look at obviously better beer is top end of mainstream, um, which is a, a good spot to be. Uh, you know, I do joke with Nick that it's entry level craft, but obviously it's it's not, um, and uh, it, it's done exceptionally well. I think uh, when you even look at our spirits portfolio, Matt, um, a brand like Seventy Eight Degrees, you know, is is kind of at that entry level in terms of premium. Um, which is important at the moment as in terms of how we're seeing, you know, pressures on households and uh, and the economy that, you know, it is making it harder to, one, realise price on on craft brands, but to, to really uh, get them going, um, you need to keep the price down a little bit, which is tricky. Uh, so for better beer to be in that space, kind of sitting between mainstream and and uh, the the bottom of entry level craft, I think, is a good spot for it to be. And you know, we you know we have evolved our strategy to say, yeah, we we want to incubate and build these these brands and craft brands. But in this case, we've got something like Better Beer that is definitely easy drinking, uh, top end of mainstream, um, and clearly leveraging off those better for you and moderation trends that um, that are out there. Um, so yeah, look, it's it's been a great addition to the portfolio, and and for us, uh, you know, we. we uh, it gives us a bit of protection in terms of us having a portfolio of brands at different price points um, and offerings, uh, which I think has been really important in the last little while and, and I think will be as well, Matt, over the next sort of um, year or two. For a, a craft brand, whether it's Mismatch or any of the uh, the other beers in your portfolio, mm. what volume do you think is starting to achieve scale at, at that end of the market? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the... Getting over a million litres, um, I think sort of 12, 18 months ago, you would feel like you're sort of getting to that scale. Um, I think with the cost pressures I alluded to earlier, yeah, I think you really need to be pushing to, you know, one and a half to two million litres to start to get to that scale um, that delivers you the, the the free cash flow and profit that you can really pump back into the brands. So I think really you want to be trying to push north of two million uh, to say you're sort of a scale craft brand. And uh, there's a few, I think, that are playing in that in that space um, and, and doing pretty well. So, uh, yeah, but that's I think that's the way that I think about that now in terms of the economics of, of craft. How do you get to that size is the is the only problem because craft beer is one of for amongst consumers they tend to think of it as you know small and local and you know once beers start appearing everywhere and they start selling uh, outside of their own you know region they start losing that they need something else to the brand beyond just the the, the craft cues seemingly for most con- consumers but from what you were saying the major retailers that are the way that you can get that um, at scale without needing sales reps in every market delivering those uh, individual relationships. So how, how do you take um, a brand like Mismatch against those headwinds beyond that one and a half million litres volume? Well, I think the key is to to not spread too thinly. So really focus on your home market. Uh, do do a good job in your home market to you know build the awareness and, and build the engagement with the brand. Uh, I think that's where a venue can come into it. So if you think about in, in Adelaide, um, and we haven't been there yet, Matt, together, but the uh, the mismatch have taken over um, the, the old brew pub at, at Whitmore Square, which used to be Spark. Um, and, um, you know, Ollie and, and Lee and the team there in South Australia with Mark Huber, who was one of the original founders of Mismatch, you know, they've created a, a great little um, brew pub um, there, which has, you know, only been uh, under mismatch for, you know, just under two months, I think. Uh, is doing really well and creating, I guess, a home for mismatch in the city of the state that it emanated from. So those are the sort of things I think that can create great engagement in, in the brand and, and with the people um, that, that are behind the brand um, and that, that can help the brand grow in that local market. And uh, I think that, that that is a good strategy to, to do that and maybe you can have multiple venues that help build that footprint. But I do think you need to be strong in your local market and and connect with uh, the the consumers and engage um, you know well with the consumers um, and and bring them into your into your family if you like in the in the mismatch um, from a mismatch perspective. So I think that's really important. Um, then you need to be able to to brew at scale to be able to get accessible price points. And I guess you need a, at least one or two key lines that can do a good job for you. And in mismatch, you've got the the benefit of not just having a good pale ale, but the session ale uh, and then the lager are both, you know, two really strong products. Um, so I think, you know, to, to get above that sort of 
one and a half to two million litres going forward. You need that, I think, a, a local home uh, to enable the punters to engage with the brand and the people behind it um, and have that experience. And then you, know, you need to have a couple of offerings, I think, that could, could scale up over time. Uh, and, and then that potentially gives you an opportunity to take it out of your home state. Uh, but I, I think if you do that too quickly without being strong in your home market, um, you know, it makes it a lot tougher. But, I mean, even if you're selling beer over your own bar, that's not really scale. You know, when if you're talking about it side by side with a brand like uh, Better Beer, which, you know, 10 million litres in a year, that's where you're starting to get you know genuine scale you know a, a brand like um mismatch that you know as you said i think is growing 30 percent a year and is around the 1.2 million liter mark um that 30 percent tapers very quickly after that first million liters and if it's new sales that are coming from your own bar that's not i mean that, that's a, a very expensive way to market the beer and build brand offering isn't it uh, yes and no. I think I think it's a combination of all those factors, you know. Uh, and I, I would say that you know, mismatch is is growing at an increasing rate um, as each month goes by at the moment, which is um, you know a credit to the team and also does reflect that you know having a, a, a home for that brand in each state and. You know, there's a lot of businesses that have proven that that's a good way to build a brand, whether it's going back in time to the likes of Little Creatures, uh, you know, Pirate Life, Four Pines, etc. Just before we move on from that, I was, I was going to ask which ones have done it well because, you know, I, I, I would question whether Little Creatures has actually done that well. Um, you know, as a, as a brand, Little Creatures Parallel has plateaued and not grown I would argue for almost a decade um, and they've tried venues and they've pulled back from venues because that didn't work. I think that that's right I think at the time when they were acquired they were doing really well and they, they grew for a period of time um, so you know as to, to whether they went too far spread themselves too thin not sure um, maybe they didn't innovate and, and bring product to market as they should have but I think those other two in Four Pines Pirate Life um, have done quite a good job and then you look at the likes of uh, Bolter, to your earlier point, who didn't really have a brand home um, and, you know, were able to get to, to great scale on more the appeal of the the, the product and the offering. Uh, so, you know, I think that's where Better Beers obviously hit the mark where, you know, it doesn't necessarily have a brand home. It's it's kind of everywhere around the country in terms of um, through Dan's and BWS and obviously increasingly available in the on-premise now. Um, the, 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 again, the way that's been launched, very different, highly disruptive, um, is breaking a lot of those old rules, um, and has, as you point out, got to got to a level of scale that some of these other craft brands, whether they're within Mighty Craft or outside of Mighty Craft, would take normally, you know, five to ten years to build to, you know, and uh, so you know, it's again just probably goes to the fact that a brand like Better Beer is really hitting the mark, and it's not it's not normal for a, for a brand to get to that scale that quickly. So, um, you know, in, in years to come, I'm sure people will look back at it and say, well, how, how did how did the team together create a brand like that and uh, what were the different elements and try and learn from it? Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, again, just probably goes more to the strength of what Better Beer's done really well um, and how well it's resonated um, rather than criticising others, um, which I'm not suggesting you are, but others in the, the category that are more traditional craft styles of brand, if you like, that are building the old way. Well, I, I guess, yeah, I'm certainly not criticising because it's, it's it's a great brewery making great beer, you know, award-winning beer. None of that is, uh, you know, up for discussion. But I guess, mm. you know, Mighty Craft is a publicly listed company that has, you know, I, I don't know the total figure, but tens of millions is a reasonable amount of, you know, um, funds that have, uh, that, that, that have come in. There's a significant management structure that's, you know, expensive to service uh, year in year out and that and that's why I you know I, I for the last two or three conversations have zeroed in on scale when you look at the size of the business scale means a very very different thing than me and my mate who started our beer in a garage and grew our business to a million liters and uh, you know you can point to uh, Four Pines and you can point to Pirate Life um, and say well they've got venues around the country and they've scaled but that sort of misses the point that they also have the network, the national network of contracted taps that they're pushing the beer out because the those venues have to take that beer, and the venues aren't 
uh, the, the venues are to legitimise those brands as craft brands as opposed to scaling those brands. There's a very, very different underpinning strategy that those two have used and they've got the benefit that Mighty Craft just doesn't have. Of uh, You know, you can build venues hoping that people will take it on. It's a, I, I just don't see that that's a reasonable comparison between the two businesses. Yes, I think it's a good point you make. I think you need to differentiate uh, between the role that the venue plays in building consumer franchise and getting the punters to, to love your beer brand. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, and I've, I, I know you've referred to it previously in, in, in your other podcasts and, and discussions and so on, is that um, it, it scale is one thing, distribution is another, and access to distribution uh, is another. And those brands that are, you know, owned by the big guys, you know, they've got immediately got access into that distribution. And, and that's something that we, um, you know, we're particularly strong on in, in the package side of things uh, within Mighty Craft and the access to the big organised retailers, whether it's, you know, IBA, um, you know, the, and the big independents or Coles or, or Dance. You know, we I think we do have that muscle um, in, in the off-premise, uh, which, is, which is good because we're bringing and trading consumers up to, to ideally more profitable products and, and more interesting products um, without offending any of the other players. But the on-premise is a lot harder, Matt, to your point. To get the distribution in the on-premise is very difficult. Yeah, but uh, you, you also said earlier in the interview that those national retailers aren't taking local brands national, um, by and large. And, you know, unless you've got a strategy to do that with the uh, your paired back or focus brands, that doesn't seem to be, you know... You, you, you're not going to get scale with a brand that is exclusively confined to a state. Yeah, there's, I mean, you, you can – I think they're taking brands national less and less. So it's not that they won't take brands national. You've just got to work really hard to get it to that point. You need to build that trust that you're going to be able to, to meet their requirements. Um, so, so I wouldn't say that, you know, brands won't um, cross-border um, and, you know, even into the next market. Um, it's just getting more difficult, and particularly in the last 12 months, it, it, it has scaled back has been our observation, you know, which is why you, you look at someone like Good Drinks and they're sort of saying, well, how do we crack Victoria? You know, like maybe we, we take um, take on a brand like Stomping Ground where the, the, the guys there have done a really good job, but again, had some real challenges, um, you know, with their venue strategy, uh, you know, with COVID and the impacts there. So, yeah, I mean, it's... There's no silver bullet to these things. There's no one playbook, but uh, you know, I, I do think that it is uh, your observation around scale and production to drive efficiency is important. But if you have that without the distribution, or if you have the distribution without the scale and production, it's a very difficult business. Um, so, yeah, which is why we again have had to really, you know, take a long hard look at where we're at and what we need to do going forward and for us going forward given we do have those shareholders we have raised that capital that you've referred to um we we do need to make clearer choices and, and be sharper on our focus um going forward um and and really drive the brands and invest in the brands that are going to get to that scale quicker than the others um which has not been an easy process to work through but that's i guess what we need to focus on going forward simplify and, and drive um, the, the brands that are going to really deliver that scale into the future. Just just to bring this part of the, 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 the chat to a close, do you think a brand like Mismatch or Jetty Road, as good as they are and as good as the beer is, will ever get to the scale to justify a business the size of Mighty Craft taking investment in, or will they always be a nice little sideline while you hope that you know a second or third bit of better beer come along? I think, you know, for us, we always started out with a portfolio um, approach and we, I, I firmly believe that's the right thing to do. So have a portfolio of, of, of brands and offerings at different price points. Uh, so, you know, we, we're going to continue to drive hard. I think I think Mismatch, um, you know, has got a good head of steam uh, and, and can get to scale. Um, and, you know, Jetty Road will take a bit longer, but then it's a, a slightly newer brand as well. So, and, you know, we've just launched a lager actually under Jetty Road, um, which Matt, Matty Grant and the, the team down at Jetty Road, mm. Sean, have um, brewed up a ripper down there. So we think that lager going alongside the pale ale, which is exceptional, uh, will help go to the next, take that um, business to the next level as well. So, you know, we're not sitting on our hands thinking, oh, better beer is going to be the answer to, uh, you know, everything we're looking for within the beer and cider part of our business. You know, we're, we've rebranded Hill Cider. That's doing well, certainly outperforming the category by quite a lot. Um, and, and Jetty Road, we're investing in innovation and, and, and MPD there. 
mismatch we've uh, you know doubled down by you know getting the venue in Adelaide to drive that so we're continuing to execute those plans Matt to, to build those brands um, they remain important to us um, and at the same time obviously have better be uh, sitting alongside them uh, doing some amazing work so you know that we're going to continue to push hard um, down that track and uh, we think that will give us a nice portfolio to work from and we're doing the same thing on spirits that we haven't really talked about but that is that's doing uh, very well and growing strongly and and obviously there's a you know good margin in spirits at smaller scale than beer so uh, we kind of like that aspect of the, the spirits business as well. And we, we I promise you, we'll, we'll, we'll come to spirits. Um, this part's gone a little bit longer, but I, I will say, so we, we've got our focus brands. What's going to happen to the, you know, the the, the four or five other, you've, you've already uh, moved Spark on or, you know, sort of discontinued your relationship with Spark. What's going to happen with the other non-focus brands? Yeah, so I think, you know, we will uh, continue to, to focus on those in their own market. Uh, you take a, a brand like Slipstream up there near you, got, got a wonderful venue there that uh, Deal and Elisa do really well with, um, good local footprint. So continue to focus on that in in uh, in Queensland uh, and, you know, that's profitable and doing well. So just I guess I kind of think about those brands, just keep them going in their home market uh, while we focus on those priority brands. Um, you know, we have spoken about a couple of venues that we're looking to divest of. So, you know, in time we, we might further simplify the portfolio by divesting of, you know, some of the, the smaller brands that become non-core. Uh, but there are a bunch that sit between non-core and um, and focus brands that are important to continue to, 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 to milk or drive the growth of. And, you know, for example, Slipstream would be, um, you know, in that category. So, you know, I think that's the next piece of work for us to just keep working through. But we will skinny down the portfolio, I think, over time. And, um continue to drive that focus but part of that as well is working with those businesses that we've invested in and the founders to make sure that you know we're getting the best possible outcome with them as well uh, particularly with regard to the changes around excise which is you know potentially leaving up to 350k of profit on the table um, if if we're over 50 percent of those businesses in terms of our ownership stake. You've referred to the excise a couple of times. Of course, you, your stake in all of those venues predated that excise change. Yeah, there was still there was still a hundred k there for each of those businesses back then, which you know, say if you had you know, call it you, had, you know, ten an interest in ten breweries, um, you know, there's a million bucks a year, which is is uh, important. Um, mm. So that became more valuable, obviously, as it went higher. Um, but of course, you also, to your earlier point, need to scale to access that full full remission. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, of course. So, um, but look, it is a, it's a it's a difficult business uh, to be in. There's a, a lot of great brands that have been built out there, but to do that profitably um, it, it is difficult. And you know that better than anyone, given how hard you look at the industry. And I think that's been your point over the last couple of years, that, you know, it's harder to build these brands in this space and what people think. Um, and you need to be realistic around what you need uh, to be successful in the craft space. Um, so, uh, and that's getting harder, not easier. So, um, look, so hence the, the slight change in our strategy is it's yep. evolved to focus on scale. Um, and, you know, uh, I think that will ensure we're around, around for years to come to, to talk about some of these stories and what's worked and what hasn't worked. And, um, you know, uh, I guess the way we started is, is not going to be the way we finish. So um, we look forward to, you know, continuing to talk about that with you. And unless you think I'm having a giving a hard time to Mighty Craft, I've had exactly the same conversation with the guys from Batch, who, again, you know, uh, have have talked a lot about growth and scale, and uh, we had a, a big chat about what the realities of that mean. So uh, it, it's a conversation that is having I'm having across the industry at the moment. As uh, you know, again, I, I think. Um, I said to them, you know, when you read their equity crowdfunding um, pitch deck um, or you know, any of the pitch decks, there's a very rosy uh, future um, painted to, to when investment is sought, but it, it, it's a much harder business, as you just said. Yeah, and I think, you know, those equity crowdfunding models are, you know, probably next level in terms of risk as well because, um, you know, the numbers you have to put out for those things, uh, you know, um, wouldn't like to have to deliver those so i think you know it's uh, it is difficult and uh, no, i understand you know we, we're just having a conversation about the industry and the sector here so mm. it's all good it's healthy and i think it's important for the listeners out there to understand that it is challenging and um and and some of these uh, craft brands that are growing strongly you know we should tip our hat to them um and and say well done to those who are involved in those businesses and 
then equally when you look at something like better beer that's sort of broken all the rules um you know you, you should really have a think about wow that is um that that is a significant achievement so uh, which gives us lots of reasons to be excited about the, the future as well because it shows you can bring brands to market if you're authentic and you're disruptive in how you do it and you you focus on the consumer trends and what the shoppers are looking for not just what you know the, the big retailers are looking for you, you can bring a market uh, brand to market quickly and, and have an impact so uh you know uh, you know obviously looking forward to a big summer of that one and uh, uh and more news to, to come on that as well you, you must look at the valuations that equity crowdfunding uh is is putting up and you know thinking gee i wouldn't mind getting our share, offloading our share in some of these uh, ones that you're looking at uh, simplifying through uh, at, at that sort of multiple? Have, have you thought yeah, of an equity crowdfund to uh, divest yourself of some of those? Uh, no, maybe we should look at it. But, um, <laughs> there's, some, there's some nice nice valuations out there uh, for sure. And, uh, you know, look, I think uh, that that's, again, you know, good good for those guys that are, and girls that are able to achieve that. Um but uh, yeah, maybe something we should look at because uh, there's some uh, some good results coming out there. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm again looking at today's market cap for uh, Mighty Craft, and again, that's just today's snapshot. But uh, 52.5 million um, for a business that has better beer in. I've seen uh, crowdfunding valuations of, of that for businesses that aren't selling a million liters through you know one business. Mm. I know it's a there's a big arbitrage. I think uh, there's. There used to be, you know, when you were a private business and then you became public, you know, the, the, the valuation would increase at the moment. It looks like it's the other way around, which is just doesn't make any sense. And I think, you know, the, what the market's not really appreciating without speaking out of school is, uh, you know, when you look at the sum of the parts of, uh, of Mighty Craft and you think about, to your point, Matt, you know, the businesses that we're building, you know, and you think about, a, you know, a, for example, a 10 million uh, litre brand in, in Better Beer where, you know, we've got the sales and distribution rights for seven or eight years, possibly own just under 40%, and you apply some sort of multiple that might have attached to Baltor or, or Stone and Wood, you know, there, there's a business that's worth, you know, in the hundreds of millions, and we've got just under 40% of it, which would you'd think it would exceed our market cap overall, you know. Mm. So it, it doesn't really make a lot of sense at the moment, but it's a funny old stock market out there at the moment, I think. The other side of Christmas, uh, as people get a bit more confidence in um, interest rates uh, being being steadier and not going up, um, and in the inflationary environment coming under control, that I think you know investors will start to look at um, you know, some of the small small caps, etc., and, and and start to come back in. Uh, but all we can do is really focus on delivering on our side of the equation and and uh, executing our plans. But yeah, it is frustrating. Back to your earlier question, when you look at the valuations around. Mighty Craft in totality um, versus what what some of the, the equity crowdfunding is um, is promising. It doesn't uh, doesn't seem to line up. Are you open to people approaching you and saying, oh, you know, you, you've done the hard work on this business. I'll take it off your hands from here." Oh, look, I think uh, you know we still feel like there's a there's a lot of work um, uh, to be done and and a lot of upside uh, to the business that we're. We're really at that inflection point now, where we, you know, we start to, to turn a profit, um, uh, and the the platform that we've built, that as you say, is 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 not cheap to build a platform like we have been able to growth in a listed environment. We also have to have that compliance and governance. Uh, you know, I, I think we'd be uh, leaving a lot of money on the table if we were to um, look at that now. But um, you know, down the track, uh, you know. There'll be some brands that really fly, and I guess we'll just wait and see what the future holds for them um, and MCL. But yeah, there's a lot, a lot to look forward to. I think for us over the coming summer and uh, the coming summers. Um, so you know, we've done the hard yards. We, we really want to, I guess, really reap the benefits of that in the in the years to come. Just stepping back to better beer um, briefly um, before we talk about spirits. Yeah. Obviously, Terraway, a bit of a um, unicorn, as we've said. But you've also, you know, explained that your um, craft strategy was a little bit torpedoed by a change in focus from the major retailers that they had decided that they were going to pull back from national um, craft brands. Is 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 that a potential weak point for a brand like Better Beer that is very strong now Endeavour must love you to to bits for the strength of, of the brand but you know you're always subject to you know what could be a capriciousness if they decide that well you're no longer their rosy future yeah I, I think uh, we launching that brand in COVID uh, doing that 
through Dan's and BWS has been uh, really important to the success. Uh, then opening up trade wide in the on-premise, uh, and obviously the strength of uh, Matt and Jack and the work they do to, to you know present the brand in a fairly reverent um, and engaging way is a, a big part of that brand. So I think the key for us going forward is you know we, we're building scale into this product very quickly. Once you've got the consumers loving the brand, and you know we've got some data suggesting that um, you know th- this is fast becoming one of the most loved brands in the country um, above all mainstream offerings. Uh, but uh, it's only a, a small number of people that know about the brand, uh, but they really engage strongly with it. Uh, I think then it, it puts Better Beer in a really strong position that once we can make it broadly available across the Indies, uh, the independent channels as well as Coles, not just EDG, um, you know, it can go to, to the next level. So I think there's a huge amount of growth ahead of it. Um, that The key thing that uh, Nick, Matt and Jack do really well is making sure that uh, they really engage and, and, the, and the drinkers of that brand that love that brand really engage with the brand and are relatable um, is a real strength. So, you know, there's always a risk, um, you know, if you're too strong with a particular retailer, but that, I think that's why we, we try and share the love across the key retailers, across our portfolio, um, to, to make sure that we're not overly reliant on one um, and, you know, make sure that we the consumers are loving the brand so that they're demanding it regardless of who's selling it. Mm. Yeah, um, and, and I, I guess the other um, potential, I, I don't know whether it's a, a risk um, in the SWOT analysis or in, in the threat in the SWOT analysis, mm. but... Um, the better for you beer category that really, um, in a lot of ways, better beer has pioneered has suddenly become a hot property, and you know we, we've seen CUB target it very directly with Spill, um, with a you know again a social media influencer. Um, we, we've seen Traveller that directly targets the, the, the same space with, uh, whilst also apparently targeting Endeavour. Um, you know, is there a risk that as as the leader you've got you know, everyone gunning for you? Oh, look, I think uh, I've always had a philosophy that, um, that the best form of flattery is imitation um, and that, uh, you know, competition brings out the best in people. Um, and I certainly feel like that's the case, uh, that, you know, if, if people are wading into this uh, better for you category, um, which to some extent was, you know, probably, pre- uh, probably previously pioneered by, you know, Great Northern to some extent as well with Super Crisp being better for you in terms of less alcohol, um, slightly less on the, on the carbs front, um, but certainly we've gone next level with, with better beer. Um, yeah, I, I think there will be um, people that come after it um, in all different ways uh, and, you know, having a, a couple of products uh, like Traveller and, and, and Spilled, I think it is, um, come to market, uh, that there'll be more of them, I'm sure. Um, but to your earlier point, I think, you know, some will do really well and, and, and some will fail. And I think uh, we're first to market. Uh, in in really focusing in on this, all the better beer, uh, the better for you attributes that we have with better beer, and I think the authenticity of uh, Matt and Jack um, and the drive of Nick combined with our team and the ability to to execute really well and manage supply chain really well, um, you know. But I think when you get to ten million liters pretty quickly, um, you know, you've got distance uh, daylight between the next players. So. I think that'll hold us in good stead, but you know we're going to have to keep working hard to, to make sure that we, we grow it from here. And uh, last question before we move on to beer, we, we, we let you talk about spirits. Yeah. I know you're uh, very keen to talk about better beer. As you said, you, you've got you know uh, what, what is it? Just over a third, I think you said nearly forty percent, but it's uh, pretty much a third of of the brand through Mighty Craft. Yep, just under forty percent we own. That's right, thirty-seven at the moment. Oh, 37. Okay, so that is. Sorry, I wasn't sure whether it's thirty-three or thirty. Okay, thirty-seven is closer to forty. Yep. But even with you know a beer that is so successful and is scaling so quickly, um, you know, beer production by its very nature is a is a unit cost game. You know, the margins are much thinner than they are in spirits or wine. You know, having a, having you know thirty-seven percent of that brand is still in terms of profitability for Mighty Craft itself, um, you know, fairly thin profits for a business of your size, isn't it? Not necessarily because you have to overlay on top of that the sales and distribution that the agreement that we have to, right. to do that uh, within Australia. So that, that generates additional um, uh, revenue back to, to Mighty Craft uh, for doing that work over and above our equity stake. And obviously with Nick and the boys um, 
we, we want to drive scale and profit into better beer um, to the benefit of all, all shareholders there. But then we overlay that sales and distribution as well. Uh, means we, you know, we kind of bank um, over 50% of the, the dollars generated um, within the better beer business um, within Australia. And so I think it is, uh, you know, a good, strong profit contributor for us. Uh, and obviously the production as we, we do through John Casella up at, um, at Griffith is uh, working really well for us. But Obviously, there would be more margin for us if we were producing it ourselves at a, at a brewery of that scale. But we're kind of renting that space, if you like, from uh, John and the team up there who do a great job. So, um, you know, they need to make their margin as well. So there's definitely opportunities to optimise the profitability of Better Beer into the future. But I think for now, this capital light model that we've got uh, with Better Beer seems to be seems to be working well and give us the flexibility to invest behind the brand rather than potentially in infrastructure and uh, production facilities. In terms of a business like that, then, is, is the value, you know, when you look at the sale of a bolter or, you know, more particularly a stone and wood, it's not just the revenues, the, the value doesn't just come from the revenues, but it comes from the value of that business as part of a portfolio to a lion or a CUB that, you know, need to prop up some of their other taps with, with, with a hot brand like that. Is, yeah. you know, it, when, when you look at the market um, capitalization of Mighty Craft, is that one of the things that makes it hard for to, to, to raise the share price is that the, the real value of better beer would be in a sale of the business to one of the bigger breweries? Uh, I, I think uh, I, I think it's more so. So definitely there's there would be value in that down the track that would deliver a you know, great outcome to, to shareholders of Mighty Craft and um, and, and better beer, of course. So that, that's definitely uh, one path you can take. Uh, I think for me, it's a, a bunch of other factors that are really um, making it. You know, our model is complex. We have multiple brands, um, some performing well, some under scale to your early points. So I think as we continue to simplify um, and focus on these bigger brands and, and make some of these divestments, um, and we, we get the other side of um, you know the, some of the, the global conflicts around Ukraine, Russia, and and things that people are concerned about. Um, you know, I think we'll get more people into the the Mighty Craft stock. Um, but I think in terms of an exit of a, you know a, a business like Better Beer, that it's actually almost uh, potentially more appealing to an acquirer down the track based on the fact it's not encumbered by a brewery because. If someone came along and, and grabbed it and put it into their production, then they would grab you know ten to fifteen um, points of margin um, by bringing it back into their production. So, yeah, I don't think that's a downside in in that regard. Um, it's really about you know how hard it is to establish brands in the beer category, and when there is a runaway success like Better Beer, um, you know people have done the hard work for you to incubate and build that mm. brand. Mm. And, and do, mm. do, do you think, you know, without forecasting the, the, the future too much, you know, are you open to offers um, for, for Better Beer while it is in that, you know, I, I guess no one knows how big it is going to get and that you know, a gambler, you know, can take his uh, win with, with, with a known outcome as opposed to the, the, the risk of uh, whether it does keep going or not? It's a great question, Matt. I think, you know, when would be the right time to look at things? I mean, we, we continually get people coming to us and uh, we haven't even had one full summer yet. So, mm. you know, I, I think we, we feel like uh, there's a, a big opportunity for us to really be dominant in Australia uh, and the current trajectory is showing that. And uh, New Zealand, uh, obviously, we've just launched over there, which has started pretty well. And, uh, you know, there's opportunities to potentially even take it to the UK, um, you know, given the popularity of Matt and Jack over there. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of opportunities um, and we just need to continue to execute. I guess, we, 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 you know, as I said, we've really only had one summer. I'd like to think, you know, we get two or three summers into us. We can see what the brand can do and then, then maybe we might return the phone calls. <laughs> now, um, a, a topic that I, I'm not sure you're ready um, for, but spirits. <laughs> You've got – tell, tell sure. me a little bit about uh, – so it's not just beer um, in Mighty Craft. Spirits has become a, a, a bit of a focus as well. Yeah, sure. And, uh, look, I won't, I won't spend too much time on spirits given the, the um, audience that you guys have is primarily about beer. But, 
you know, we're very proud of the portfolio of spirits, Australian spirits brands that we're building. Uh, we, we think, uh, you know, beautifully differentiated uh, with 78 degrees coming out of the Adelaide Hills, uh, do, doing um, that's at, at most scaled um, distillery uh, and, and doing whiskey now as well and, and doing, you know, some, some great whiskies, uh, which is really interesting and uh, we, we enjoy doing. Um, and then with uh, Seven Seasons, uh, obviously our Indigenous um, partners in that, uh, the Motlock family, uh, just doing a new campaign at the moment actually to really tell that story about sustainability and how we sustainably harvest the ingredients into that into those products out of the, the land of the Larrakee people um, who have seven seasons in their calendar, which hence the name. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful brand and high-end with green ant gin and bush apple gin and um, you know, again, whiskey coming to market with that in a few years' time. Uh, you know, they're, they're both doing super well and Kangaroo Island Spirits has uh, also had a, a really good last few months as we've expanded that footprint. So, again, we've rebuilt the distillery over there on the island, uh, which we bought from John and Sarah Lark. Um, and, you know, it's a, a wonderful distillery over there and, and now doing whiskey. So, look, we're really... Uh, I guess excited about uh, what we're doing in the spirit space and, and trying to innovate and create um, some wonderful brands that you know can do well in Australia and rival the likes of Four Pillars and, and so on. Uh, but then also hopefully take them overseas and do some export, which we've already started doing. Uh, but do more of that going forward. Um, and as we have more whiskey available, I think that will help sell more of the white spirits because. Um, you know, there's a high demand for Australian whiskey overseas. Uh, and uh, if you can put that with your wonderful gins and vodkas, then uh, it creates a nice portfolio to take. So, no, look, we're, we're building scale in that business, Matt, as well, and uh, really looking forward to, you know, telling the, the listeners um, more about that into the future uh, as, we, as we build those out uh, because, you know, it's um, it's a bit of a longer-term capital burn into spirits, particularly whiskey, but, yeah, really excited about the portfolio we're, we're building. I guess spirits has um, you know a couple of advantages over craft beer in that you know it doesn't age and you know the, the shelf life issues um, you know assuming you can get sales and it, it's pulling through it's got a better yeah. shelf life but we've also it, it's become where craft beer was probably a decade ago where there's been a flood of capital and openings um, and it's becoming an increasingly crowded market as well how do you navigate that yeah I mean it's a huge market I mean the spirits category in Australia is over five billion you know, and it's growing at around 15%. So it's, it's high growth. But um, there's only about 8% of spirits that are consumed in Australia that are actually made here. So there's a huge opportunity for the locals like ourselves and Four Pillars and Archie Rose and Manly Spirits, you know, to, to do their thing. So, you know, I, I think, again, a rising tide can lift all boats. And I think there's an opportunity for for us to champion Australian spirits into a, in, in, into the Australian retailers and, you know, the Australian poor concept even in non-premise is starting to get some momentum. So, uh, again, um, you know, we, we wouldn't want to have too many brands within the spirit space, but three or four brands, including a, a whiskey that we're nurturing out of um, Tasmania called Hidden Lake, uh, you know, is, I think, a, a nice portfolio for us. And I think we can work hard with our retail partners um, both in the independence um, and the on-trade and and the, and the bigger off-premise retailers to build the brands. Um, and, uh, you know, again, goes to the strength of, of our calibre of our people uh, led by Cam Buckland, our sort of sales and marketing director, to to invest behind the brands the right way but also look after those relationships with um, our key customers to, to bring those brands and make them available. And then the seller doors as well, um, you know, Kangaroo Island um, up at, uh, lot 100 which is a home of 78 degrees helps uh, reinforce that as well so no, look a lot to like about it and um, more profitable at an earlier stage um, than, than what beer is which is good and uh, you know despite it's heavily taxed as well in terms of excise um, you know it's, it's a really ex- exciting category to be in and, and whiskey is really going from strength to strength as well. In hindsight should founders first perhaps have targeted the, the, the spirits industry first to, to, to be earlier in that business cycle than craft beer, given it was only two or three years ago that you, you, you really started the model? Uh, I think, uh, you know, beer, you can turn into cash quite quickly, particularly with a good venue model attached. So obviously didn't foresee the, the challenges of COVID um, mm. that really, really changed that. Um, but I think our strategy was to, you know, start with beer, get that going generate the free cash flow that would enable us to, to sort of then start to push into spirits. Um, 
but look, probably fair to look forward rather than back. Uh, Matt, I think you know, <laughs> hindsight's twenty twenty, isn't it? So uh, twenty twenty vision. But look, I think we're we're getting to a good spot now, and uh, there's a lot to look forward to over this summer. And uh, you know that not just the beer portfolio we've spent a fair bit of time on, but certainly the spirits. Um, you know, I think uh, having that that portfolio we have now is is going to set us up for for a great summer, and uh, you know, get, get drive those brands to to uh, a good level over the next few years. Matt, I, I take your point that it's always better to look forward than back, but I guess my job <laughs> as a journalist is always to go back and look and uh, just, just <laughs> yes, make sure you're yes. being held to account. <laughs> yeah, no, so, I, I appreciate that. I don't think you could ever be accused of not holding anyone to account, Matt. <laughs> Mark Hazeman, all the best for the year ahead and uh, look forward to chatting about that year this time next year. Yeah, look forward to it, Matt, and have a great Christmas, mate. And, uh, yeah, thanks for all you do for the industry. It's always great to listen to the conversations you're generating and, uh, you know, I think it's good for everyone. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much. And that was Mark Hazeman. Always a good and very informative chat. If you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out. If you're a listener, you can sponsor the show and give us a couple of dollars each month to help us keep doing what we're doing. If you're a business that supplies the brewing industry, you can also run advertising and have a little bit of that rallying effect yourselves. Take some time to review us on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcasting service, or you can join the conversation by joining our Facebook group or emailing us at producer at brewsnews.com.au with my favourite lines, please don't quote me on this. We'll be back this Friday with Brews News Week, diving deeply into the news of the week, and we look forward to joining you then. 